Welcome to the sag After Foundation's Conversations podcast. The sag After Foundation believes that contributions made to our culture by performing arts are not only valuable, but also essential. And so we provide free programming and services like this podcast to support them. If you'd like to learn more about the sag After Foundation or access the full library of our conversations or make a donation to support this podcast, please visit sagaftra.foundation. That's www.sagaftra.foundation. Also, subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at SagAfterFound. Thanks, and enjoy the conversation. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the SAG After Foundation's Conversations at Home program. I'm Caitlin Brody, and I am from Vanity Fair. Now, without further ado, it's my pleasure to introduce actor Andy McDowell. Hey there. Thank you so much for talking to me. Hi. It's so nice to see you again. Um, So I was just looking at your IMDb page this morning, and you have over 80 film credits to your name, which is just like completely mind-blowing. You know, you've done comedy, drama, indie, romance, and all of your characters have really spread the gamut. So before we get into all of that, I'd just love to hear how you got into this industry and how you started acting. Well, when I was really young, I lived in a, came from a small town and my mother took me to a play. And that's when I realized that adults played make-believe. And I, I, I was I thought to myself, that's me. That's my favorite game. I can't believe that adults get to play make-believe. <laughs> and then, I, you know, I kind of connected it to watching TV. I was like, God, that's what they're doing. All these people are playing make-believe. That's what I want to do. And I started talking to my parents about it. Of course, they didn't. My dad knew someone from my town had married someone that was a soap star. That was his only connection. So I was trying to like figure out, you know, how do you get me there, you know? And um, I, you know, did theater when I was in school, ended up living in, my, in, um, in New York and started taking classes and auditioning. So that's the short version of what happened. <laughs> do you remember what that play was? Oh, God, no. I was nine, something like that. Okay. Very young. I don't remember, but fascinated that uh, I knew there was a young actress in it that was a friend of mine. And I think that was part of the reason we went to go see it. But, it, you know, it was the fact that the adults were doing it. That's what fascinated me. And they were playing, you know, to me, it's like playing make believe. I still say that. I said that in the car. I say it a lot with other actors, particularly young actors, when the days are long and the days are hard and you're working hard, I'll say to them, can you believe they pay us to play make believe? (laughs) (laughs) I remind them, you know, that this is our job, even though, you know, it can be really difficult. It's a fun job. And then I'll always say like, look around, look around. You see all these people around us. They're all the nerds that no one liked. Look at us. We're all here. That's so funny. All the creative people that they thought were crazy. And now we're all here. And look what we're doing. (laughs) Because it is. Like when you're in the process of doing it, it's so fascinating that this is what you're doing. And you've got all these other people and their positions and their jobs. And you're watching them and getting ready and how they like the room and what they do and what their job is. It's all to create this, you know, the story, the, the story. That's what we're doing. It's really fascinating what we do, I think. <laughs> I think so, too. Yeah. I mean, I could talk to you about it all day. Did you always so did you always want to be an actress or did you, was there ever anything else you wanted to be? I, that's what I wanted to be. I just didn't know I could be it. I didn't know that that was realistic. I didn't think it was realistic. My mother was a teacher. All three of my sisters got their degree and uh, as teachers and taught. They all taught. So that's kind of, I thought I was going to go into special education. Um, When I was in high school, I had gone to a facility that worked with children with disabilities and such a poor town that I came from. So it was a unique situation, but that really touched my heart. So that was kind of what I 
thought I would do. And then when I went to college and started doing theater, you know, and then I ended up modeling in New York and taking classes. I didn't know that it would really happen, you know, and you have, there's no guarantees that it will happen. Um, I'm just very fortunate that it worked out because it's not an easy vocation. It's not, it's hard to make it. It's not, not everyone makes it. Right. Was there either while you were taking those classes or starting out in New York, was there a moment where you did think, Oh, this actually could become something. There was a moment when I thought it wasn't going to happen. It was right before I did sex lies and videotape. And I felt like I was struggling so hard. I felt like um, I wasn't going to make it. I did. And I contemplated what I should do. I thought I had some great ideas, though, really good ideas. Uh, I had this idea of doing sort of like becoming a Montessori teacher and opening my own school and have it be all around a farm. But then I got sex lies and videotape. (laughs) (laughs) Right when I was thinking it was not going to happen. And that was a paradigm for me because... I think it changed, it changed everybody's mind. When you, when you are in a movie that is critically well-received and makes money, it's, that's it. That's, that's the gold mine. It really is because that's what you know, everybody wants. They want to be uh, well-received critically and they want to make money. Right. You know, and it made a lot of money. So then you become a commodity. That's it. You know, truly, you're seen as someone who's valuable. So before Sex, Lies, and Videotape, I was questionable for sure. But afterwards, nope, that changed. Okay. So <laughs> speaking of Sex, Lies, and yeah, I mean, between the awards you won and were nominated for Soderbergh winning the Palme d'Or for the film, and he was the youngest person to ever win it at that time, it does seem like that was a complete, you know, transformation for you in your career. So how, how did that all come about? How were you cast? What did you, how did you feel when you first read that script? Mm. Um, I was in acting class at the time and I got the script and loved it. And I thought to myself, I know this, I can do this. I've got, you know, I have the information. I know this woman. I, you know, I, I just was really excited. I remember running in the park with a friend of mine, just telling her who the character was and what the story was about. I was on fire for it. <laughs> and um, I worked on it, prepared for it. I even remember what I wore for the audition. That's how intense. intense. I wore uh, like uh, a traditional sweater, like those English sweaters, you know, twin sets. Yeah. You know, the underneath piece for the twin set, you know, that in black with pearls. I wore that. I do remember that. I can't remember if I wore jeans with it or whatever, but I, I, I remember wearing it and going in and Stephen just doing reading with me. No one else in the room, not even the casting director. He just wanted to read with me. So I read with him. And I guess when he read with me, he was like, okay, she's Anne. But then he told everybody else and we were like, what? her and I had so I had to come back and do it again and they put me on tape and and I guess I still was just still comfortable you know I didn't lose my cookies and got the job so that that was kind of that you know the interesting thing is is I also got pregnant I didn't tell them oh my god wait when so I was pregnant with rainy right before you know I remember working on it with the a coach, I was working on, on, on it with a coach and I had just done the pregnancy, gone in to see the doctor. It was like, you know, I've missed my period or whatever. And they said it was positive. I was like, oh my God, you're kidding. <laughs> it's like, oh, well, I didn't tell them, but it didn't really matter. It was very early on. So, so you were pregnant in the film. So Rainey's. I was pregnant. It was pregnant with Rainey, but very early, very early on. So you couldn't see wow. it. I worked with pregnant with Margaret too, and Unstrung Heroes, but I was extremely pregnant in that movie. That was interesting. <laughs> Hiding wow. that failure. That so was they, both, they both had their big screen debuts before they exactly. were Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I, th- I feel like their energy fed me, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you, have you re-watched the film recently at all? They did a screening in, um, at Sundance. 
but and and everybody came and Stephen was there and that was fun. Everyone but James came uh, and that was fun. It was fun to see it on a big screen. But I think it holds up. I mean, so much has changed. Our, I mean, this is this is before phones. You have to think about that, you know. But um, yeah, so much has changed. I, I, and when it came out, it was, you know, risky. And also the script was actually a little bit edgier. He talked about her pubic hair in it. I think that freaked out a lot of agents. They were like, God, no, what is this? They wouldn't even show it to their, you know, clients because they thought it was so risky. I mean, compared to what you can see now, it's right. It's nothing. But I did. I recently watched it and I felt like it absolutely held up. I really. Oh, good, good. Yeah. I'm sure it's like watching, you know, it's like watching an old movie. You know, it's it's an old movie it's before phones, videotape. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> right, right. Um, yeah, it felt like a character study. I, I loved it. Um, do you. So what was it like working with Stephen? Um, well, he was so young. But everything went really smoothly. I think it's one of the smoothest experiences that I've ever had because I think we were doing 10-hour days. It's just insane. Wow. It's never like that. It's wow. never like that. You're all, it's always chaotic and push, push, push. But with him, I always felt relaxed, like we had time, and that – you know, this everything was important and you were cared for as an actor as far as your work goes. I never felt rushed. He, he's very prepared. He knows exactly he's brilliant. And I know that sounds like, you know, oh, yeah, they're all brilliant, but he actually is. And um, it was just wonderful. It really was. It was and you know, just a beautiful opportunity to explore and get the work, you know, really get into the work. And he had said to me after I memorized everything, because the dialogue was, I just loved the dialogue. I loved it. I loved how it was written. He was like, well, you can improv it, but I didn't need to, to improv it. It was so well written. There are instances when I did a little bit of something or gave a little bit of something. And I did, we communicated really well too, because as it was written, I, had another scene with my therapist at the end and I really felt that I should make amends with my sister I have three sisters and I know what that relationship is like I think that it doesn't matter what they do you have to heal that relationship and I said that to him and he added the scene in the bar he added it because I I told him I said you these you need to know what's going to happen with these sisters forget the husband right it's the sisters. What's going to happen? And he put that scene in where I take her the plant to the bar. That's and, incredible. Uh, yeah. Was there a moment either after the film came out or during the process where you you knew that this film was changing your life in some way? Like, was oh, it? It's interesting, you know, because I just had rainy, so I didn't I didn't go to Sundance because I was very pregnant. And then I didn't go to, to, to Cannes because I just had her and I was nursing and just, you know, hot mess, just, you know, nursing mama. And I was terrified also that they would be mean to me, that people would be mean to me. People used to be meaner than they are now to actresses, you know, uh, this ideal, uh, what you're supposed to be. We're changing now, but I didn't go, which is a shame. And so it kind of was out of the loop. It wasn't hitting me. I mean, I think for them, they got so much attention that can. They had to know, they, you know, they realized, oh my gosh, this is huge. We're big. But I didn't really get how, how big it was until I started getting jobs without, without having to audition. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> that was the big luxury for me. Yeah, so Robert Altman calling me up, and I'm the baby in my kitchen holding him and just saying, would you like to be in my movie? Yes, sir, I would like to be in your movie. And just <laughs> things like that, you know? I'm, yeah. Yeah. Um, green card, I, you know, getting green card and just getting jobs. Hudson Hawk coming to me and paying me, too, because we really didn't – I didn't get paid very much for sex, lies, and videotape. Right. 
And um, then I got Hudson Hawk and they were paying me. Not nothing compared to what, you know, big, big actors got. But for me, you know, it was nice. Right, 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 right. <laughs> yeah, it always is. Um, and I feel like sometimes in that kind of thing, it's almost better not to know what's like how big something's getting. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe. I mean, I, my kids always kept me grounded. I was super focused on being a mother. So I think that was, I couldn't get lost in the idea of stardom because I was most, mostly interested in being a mother. Did, do you remember when you got your SAG card and what project that was for? You know, somebody else asked me that, but it must have been probably commercials. Oh, really? Okay. I would imagine. You know, I did, or it could have been um, Greystoke, but I did the Calvin Klein commercial before that. It may have been that, but honestly, I, I don't remember 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so Groundhog Day... I mean, it's so fun. I'm curious, first of all, since so many people started rewatching it over the past few years with the pandemic, since all of us were also experiencing our own Groundhog Day, day in, day out, did you get in on rewatching that whole, rewatching the movie again with everybody or, or was it enough? <laughs> no, I mean, I like watching it. It's so bizarre when you watch yourself. I think I could watch it, but <coughs> sorry. I don't know. It's weird to sit and watch yourself. It's kind of hard to disconnect. I'm always <clears throat> overanalyzing. I'm a huge Harold Ramis fan. He was the nicest man. He's brilliant. Here I go with that word again. <laughs> <laughs> but he would do he would do the crossword puzzle, the New York Times cross, crossword puzzle and time himself and be talking to you at the same time. And he had his heart. He's just a warm person. He's a truly warm person. So going to work every day was a pleasure to, just to be in his presence. He was just a, such a generous man. And I fed off of that energy. And I loved the script. I thought it was a perfect script. And Bill Murray, cast in that role, could not be... Nobody else could do that. I mean, what he did with that role is amazing. And I felt like the chemistry between us and um, how, I, my, how I saw this character and how he saw his character, the dynamics just worked perfectly. And um, I love that movie. So I might can sit and watch it, but I don't really choose to sit and watch myself. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. I, I'm sure I would feel the same way. If I would, but I'm not. But I mean, <laughs> did you get such a kick out of the fact that everyone was watching it during that time? Like, was I that love to see the reference. You see these, you'll see references in articles all the time. It makes me smile. It's, you know, it's that something is that well known and it's become like a phenomenon, Groundhog Day, you right. know, which has, really has nothing to do with Groundhog Day. They're obviously referencing the movie. Right, right, right. Yeah. And how, how were you cast? Uh, oh, I remember now. Um, Harold had seen a movie that I did uh, called Object of Beauty. It's a little obscure, but it's a good movie with John Malkovich. And um, he really loved my performance in that. And... Um, I had to come in and do a chemistry reading with Bill. So basically you don't, you don't really read anything. They just put you in the same room and kind of look, look at you together and see what, you know, how you react towards each other and what the feelings and, and if they think that'll pan out. And then that that was that. And then I got it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What about four weddings and a funeral? I mean, that I feel like you had what must have been such a unique experience getting to kind of revisit that world through the Hulu miniseries 25 years later. Oh, right. Yeah. Just in a cameo and or as a guest star. And 
So what was what was it like kind of re-entering that world from a different vantage point? Oh, and plus at the same time, I had gone over to do something for Red Nose Day. So I got oh, to see, yeah, I got to see Mike and Hugh and uh, Richard and everybody again, older. So that, that was interesting. Um, yeah, you know, I think Richard, everything Richard Curtis has done has a very unique feeling. His sense of humor and the way he writes his characters and his dialogue. It's, it's, I love that sort of British humor and the romance added to it just makes it that much more special. Um, yeah, that was, that was a unique experience. I mean, being also being in something that, that did that well, again, I think it was made for $7 million. I don't know how much it made, but for the longest time, it was number one. Wow. Uh, British movie and it pulled in a lot of money. I'd have to, I'd have to look, but it, you know, it, it was a huge hit, gigantic hit. And um, I remember when I did it, I had turned down something that was going to pay me a lot and they weren't going to pay me that much. And my business manager stupidly asked me, why are you doing this movie for no money when you could have done that? And I said, because it's fantastic. And you have to do, make those choices, you know. You have to be able to tell if something's good or not. And um, it was uh, it was that script. Oh, God, I mean, it was just perfect. It was great. I think my character was kind of hard to play because she was aloof and she didn't choose the most charming man in the world. <laughs> so I think I think you know that was hard. But the story is remarkable and so, so well written. And um, I'm happy that I was in this moment where romantic comedies were doing really well because I enjoy them. And also they're fun to work on there. You don't you don't have to take on anything hard or difficult or like uh, uncomfortable. It's joyful work. And it truly is joyful work. I'm dying for my daughter to get a job like this. She keeps taking these jobs that are so horrible and demanding. She <laughs> wants one too. But it is true. They affect you. Whatever character you're playing, the situation that you're in, it's, you have to go into that every day. Right. And, and it's, doing romantic comedies are a pleasure. They really are. That's so nice to hear because I feel like, I mean, especially in this day and age when it's just the news, it's just horrible event after horrible. Yeah, we need more. Yeah, it's all, it's like watching more. I don't know. Yeah, it's like a warm hug. It's just like a hug. And then we do get them and they are great hits. And you got to think about like La La Land or, you know, I mean, we need more of that sort of light and, but you have to have good writing. That's the combo. Right. Right. It's not good unless you have. It has to be good writing, a good story with great dialogue. And that's the hard part. <laughs> well, maybe we're, we need you to make a new one. Oh, uh, well, I wish I was a great writer. I'd have to find a great writer. I can come <laughs> up with concepts. Um, so is it safe to say, I was going to ask you next, what your favorite genre um, to play in is. Is it safe to say it's romantic comedy? I love comedy, I would say. I think comedy is something that, uh, that, that thrills me. I love finding the humor. Um, I think comedy is my sweet spot. I really enjoy it. It doesn't have to be romantic. It can just be funny. But I want to try everything. So I just took a role that's not really a genre that's my genre. Um, but the character was something I'd never done before. So I like to make those, uh, those choices as well. I want to explore different characters and surprise myself and surprise other people as well. You know, finding, wow, I've never done that before. That's interesting. And, and exploring something that I've never tried before that may even trouble me. You know, like there's things I just did this one character I just played that oh, horrible. She's not likable. She's horrible and dark and abusive. Just a terrible person. 
But that's interesting to explore because it's the direct opposite of how people have seen me. And people do get confused. They do believe that, especially if you do a good job, if you do a good job, people think that's who you are. Right. It's a little frustrating because you're doing a good job and they think that's who you are. So they discredit you. But, you know, what can you do? I mean, I can't, I can't tell everybody. For the longest time, I remember right after sex, license and videotape, I would have people say that's who I was. And for the longest time, I would like, I was young. I would like try to shock people by talking about orgasms, you know, because she couldn't have orgasms. I was right. like, I have orgasms, you guys. You know, I would <laughs> say out, just crazy things because I was so frustrated that people didn't want to give me credit for what I had created. You right. know, really taking my time. I really thought that I took a lot of time thinking this character through deep, deeply thinking about who she was and coming up with good ideas and, um, and happy accidents and being present and, you know, fun things. Like the, there's a scene where I go over and I'm asking James about the videotapes and exploring the idea of maybe because I'm realizing my husband's sleeping with my sister. Right. And I'm, I'm holding the tea and I accidentally spill the tea. I didn't mean to spill the tea. And James says, you're spilling the tea. So, of course, we kept that because that was fabulous. And then Stephen was like, look for the, you know, look for the escape. And I'm look for the escape. So, I mean, everything's created. It's always created. I'm not any of my characters. If you knew who I really was, you would be shocked. <laughs> you know, you can't sum up a person in two hours. Right. I'm all of my characters. There might even be some part of me that just played this hideous, horrible, horrible woman inside of me. How else do I, do I know what that is? You know, right. I mean, there's a bit of me and everything, but they're definitely created, you know, they're not me. Right, right. So what is, what is this upcoming project? It's called Red Right Hand. It'll be out next year. I mean, I literally just just finished it. So yeah. And you'll see, you know, okay. it's not a character you've ever seen me play. That's exciting. I mean, we'll get to made, but I feel like I hadn't ever seen you play a character like Paula either. So we will table that for a minute, but um, did you, you know, you were just saying that you, a little bit of you is in all of these characters or all these characters are in you. Or at are least you- me understanding humanity understanding darkness and lightness and yeah. Okay. Is there of all these characters, do you have a favorite or one that you feel either the proudest of or the most closely connected to or the most sentimental about? I would say I have seen, you know, I pay attention. Unfortunately, I I pay attention to critics and what people say. I have seen people not really love what I did in Groundhog Day, and I don't understand that because I feel like she's so nuanced and interesting and sensitive and the humor. You know, I'm playing opposite Bill Murray. You don't go against that. So the only thing I could do was be real and open and vulnerable and honest, pure, honest character. And... um, I think the whole thing is perfect. So I don't know what these people are seeing or how they're judging. Sometimes I feel like maybe people project their anger onto me because of some other reason. It doesn't have anything to do with my performance. I don't know. Maybe they don't like me or curly hair or I remind them of some girlfriend or I don't know what it is. (laughs) But I mean, I just think that movie's really, really perfect. I wouldn't change. I wouldn't change anything in my performance. Sometimes I'll watch. I'll watch my performances and I'll say I'd love to do that scene again but there's it doesn't hit me like that nothing in there hits me like that I feel like I didn't I wouldn't change anything nothing wouldn't change a thing and it's it's fresh too it's like I look at it and I was like the time in my life and the feelings I had and everything anyway that's how I feel about that (laughs) no I I would agree it's a pretty perfect movie I I'm surprised you read your reviews I know I shouldn't. 
I shouldn't. I, I so should hard. go to. I should continue to go to therapy for that. For that, <laughs> I definitely have not worked out some issues that I need to work out because why do I do that? Why do I torture myself? But here's the thing about that kind of tendency is 98% of the people are going to love you, right? They're going to feel all these wonderful feelings and they're going to say, yes, I, I really loved it too. It was great. It's going to be these 2% that you, that, that, affects you more than the 98. And that's what I always try to keep in mind is why do I give attention to these negative, these negative voices? But I think it's a human tendency to do that. I don't know why we do that to ourselves. I know. I think it's pretty, yeah, it's uh, irresistible. And I think it's yeah. across. I don't know what that weakness is. Yeah. In, uh, we all want to be loved. <laughs> yes, we do. We want to be loved. And the ones that don't love us, we want to make them love us. That's probably what it is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, what is, I guess, maybe other than don't read your reviews, Andy, what is some of the best acting advice you've ever received from a co-star or a fellow actor? I, when I worked with John Malkovich, he would try to keep me loose by making me laugh. And he, he's so good at what he does. Um, when I worked with James, it was all about the mistakes. And I just listened to an interview with my daughter and she was talking about that, about being a perfectionist and how great it is when you're acting because mistakes are, are wonderful. And they are, if they, you know, if they, if they're the real thing, you know, they come from your reaction, like spilling the tea. So, um, Staying in the moment, listening, got to listen. So I want to chat about Made for a bit, which was one of my absolute favorite shows of last year, if not my favorite show of last year. Um, I was so taken with it. I was so blown away by your performance and by the story and by Margaret's performance. Um, What was it to, I mean, I know you've done TV in the past, but what was it about this particular project that you were drawn to? Oh, wow. Everything. Um, Getting to work with my daughter, huge. The fact that she wanted to work with me was the most pleasing experience as a mother, that she actually thinks I'm good. (laughs) Um, John Wells who, you know, is a phenomenon. He's just such a gifted man. Molly's writing, that writing. Yeah. And she gave me good humor. It's interesting because my only concern about my character is that people don't understand the complexity of what it is to be manic-depressive bipolar. And her humor, I think, I worried that people would misinterpret it or her sexuality just to think that she was a woman, a very needy woman that needed always to be seen as sexy. But that's the illness. Right. It is, it is a, a symptom of manic depressive bipolar behavior. Um, the tendency to be over-sexualized. It's something that I had had a personal experience with, with a very close friend of mine. And when she was in her manic episodes, her personality changed completely. And I actually got my physical work from her, my experience with her. She was always like this. She was this, was always tits first, tits, tits, everything was tits. And so I put that in there because I knew it and I knew it was real. But I worried that people would think, I don't know, that it was too much or um, they didn't realize it was the the disease. But I I understand that disease really well because I've had a lot of some deep firsthand experiences with it. Then coupled with Molly, who also knew it firsthand. And it's the God complex the whole God plant complex, that's, uh, that's all bipolar. It's manic depressive and the rage 
Um, and you see, you see my character a lot in a manic state. She's in a, she's quite often tipping into that manic state. And the only way that she controls it is smoking dope, which really doesn't work. You know, it's not a very good form of, of self-care. And so when we finally got into episode eight, I was relieved because I wanted the audience to see her down. I wanted them to see her quiet mm-hmm. and what it was like for her to be on the other side of that mania. And I think that's one of the reasons I loved that episode so much for myself. I don't know. Seven was probably more interesting to watch, to see what, you know, to really see performance or whatever. But I, you know, I was exhausted. I was tired. I had been doing that behavior this whole time, going to work every day and doing it over and over again. And you know, you don't do it just once. You do it all day from so many angles. It was exhausting. Yeah. And um, so I was relieved when I got to do something different, when I got to show the other side of bipolar, which is that down, down, down side. And um, yeah, you know, it was the whole experience was really trippy. And I loved the deep personal scenes with my daughter. And I think we, I know I did, and I'm sure she did too. I brought different emotions from personal experiences, mothering too, even though it wasn't me. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so much fun. God, so much fun. And I yeah. I doubt I'll ever have that much fun again. I know that's a terrible thing to say, <laughs> but I'm actually okay with it. I really am. I'm, I'm okay with it. This, this world, this job is so hard. It's so hard to get cast. There's so many people you can cast. Yeah. And there's fine, good writing. That's hard. It's hard. And I'm, and I'm 64. You know, I'm not a baby. It's easy mm-hmm. when you're 30. My 30s were so much easier. I don't know that I'll ever feel that good again and experience that again. Maybe I'll get lucky. You know, hell, it could happen in my 80s and I could be so surprised. But I'm satisfied. I really am. I'm so satisfied from this gift that was given to me. Um. I'm grateful, extremely grateful and exploring that character because I know that world so well. I knew that world so well and finding the nuances in the, and the, just the movement of what it is to be bipolar. It's a really hard life unless you're on medication. I was just talking to someone who has bipolar, who's watching it right now. And we talked about, you know, if you're not on medication, I mean, it's torture. It really is. It's a really hard life. I mean, what you're saying about that experience being so unique, just as a viewer, it felt like watching the most special piece of art. Like it's, it's so poignant and it's so touching. And so all of that rings completely true as a viewer. Um, I know that, you know, there's obviously no one way to portray mental illness on screen. So how, how did you go about ensuring that your performance was authentic? Was it, was it kind of pulling from your past experiences and your personal connections to, to the illness? It was definitely a combination of Molly's experiences because hers are real and valid and, and honest, and there it's in her writing. I didn't know anything about gods and goddesses. And um, a lot of the, you know, the way she rambled and talked was all of that. So I had to work on that because it's not something I was comfortable with. And that's all real. It came from what Molly knows. It's all how someone behaved. And it's what I was talking to with this person the other day. It's the, the God, you feel like you're God. You're all empowered. You're this, this feelings of being able to do anything. A lot of that's in there, like how she was feeling about her art, you know, that she's this famous artist. I mean, all of that's 
in there. The part with the men, I knew. You know, it's in there too. So Molly knew it, obviously. But that whole sexual part is is part of the of being bipolar, um, promiscuous. You're very promiscuous, and 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 you dress inappropriate, and you behave inappropriately, and your desire for men. That's all of that was part of her disease. It wasn't just a woman needing a man. It was really part of her illness, um, inappropriate dressing all of that, but that's stuff that I knew from, ex- from experience. Um, and then the denial, I think the, uh, I, the dealing it with, with it, with drugs. I had known someone like that, how dealing with life through drugs and, and just let me have my pot. So that's all something I, I knew. And um, deep complexity of love for the child but I didn't have to dig for that, you know. I mean, that's all right there for me. And having girls, you know, looking for the love of your child, those are things I know. You know, I've had 15-year-old girls. I know what that complexity of emotions happens between mothers and daughters. All that was firsthand. I mean, I've read loads of books on what it is to be bipolar or manic depressive, but I've also experienced it firsthand. So it was not like something that was foreign to me. It was something that was part of my, it's in my DNA, you know? So I didn't have to, I didn't have to go too far. Digging in, you know, I have to say it was uncomfortable to be like that all day long and exhausting. It was tiring. Yeah, I'm I'm sure. I mean, how so how at the end of each day did you kind of like get back to Andy and shake off Paula? Well, the good news, I wasn't like Margaret who worked every day and was in every scene. So I was fortunate that I had time off to take care of myself. So I would go for walks and um, I had time to take care of myself. I think the hardest part was the loneliness because it was COVID. Like I spent Christmas by myself. Oh, I know. It's weird all by myself. I spent most of the time by myself, except for when I would go to work. That was the only time I was around people. And I got to see her a little bit on the weekend, but for the rest of the time, for eight months or whatever, seven months, I was alone. And that kind of, that actually fed into my character because it made me feel kind of crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, you know, the intensity of everything was, it was just intense. Yeah, that's I would so just sit cool. around and run my lines all day long. That's what I would do because I didn't have anything else to do. Right. So isolating. Yeah. Um, so can you talk about, I know this was the first time ever working with Margaret, your daughter, and playing mother and daughter on top of that. So what was that experience like? And how did you kind of separate the Margaret Andy from the Alex Paula? Yeah. I don't think there was any problems for us that way. I mean, it wasn't like, even though I studied method and I do still use those tools that's in my toolkit. I'm not one of those people that's always walking around in character unless I'm so confused and I'm just searching for something, just starting out on something. So we weren't weird in that way, you know, with each other. We were just probably very supportive of each other, like get, get you some tea. Are you warm enough? That kind of thing. Just normal stuff. Um, and then we would go into character. Most importantly, I wanted to be sure because she asked for me, I wanted to be sure she liked what I was doing. And I was taking some brave, I was making some brave choices. I wasn't holding back. I, I made bold choices on purpose because when you're manic, you're bold. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the truth. They're bigger than life. And I wanted to be sure that wasn't disturbing her because I wasn't in there to like steal the show or whatever. That wasn't my reasoning. My reasoning was to play the character house, all the character. And so I was always kind of checking in with her to be sure she liked what I was doing, but she would never really answer me. (laughs) (laughs) She wanted me to like what I was doing. So she put it back to me that way because she's smarter, you know. That's like mothering. Are you happy? happy? So I'd be like, damn it. She's not going to let me, not going to tell me. 
That's no, almost like was, a parent you know, role. She just wanted me to, I'm sure she thought I sucked or something. She would have said something, but she wanted me to be happy. And then the one nice thing, because she did work so hard, uh, was I would get to see her on the weekends and I would cook for her. I would make a really healthy soup. She was always on the verge of getting sick because her hours were so horrible and it was cold. And um, so I'd make this huge soup, which is stocked full of vegetables and herbs and just make it so healthy. And I'd get her a massage and I would run lines with her because she had a lot, you know. Yeah. So I would sit down and run lines with her so she could kind of prepare for the week. And that was nice because I got to really mother a little bit and all my kids have gone and you miss it once they're gone. You, I did. I was one of those pathetic mothers that when they left, didn't know what to do with myself. <laughs> a lot of parents, you know, they reminded me, actually, they were like, you know, most parents are relieved. They're out having a good time. And I said, well, I'm so sorry. I'm not most parents. <laughs> I was trying to keep them. Yeah. Was there any, did you guys have any hesitations about working together or any kind of like conversation about, I don't know, where the line is before working together? She asked for me, you right. know, so she wanted me when she, when they were there and they were passing the role, she was looking at it and she knows my past experiences and that I am knowledgeable about the subject and she felt that I would be perfect for it. So she asked for me. Um, I think I was watching. I think I was very cautiously watching. She's the star. And as the actress, I am not the star. She is the star. And I know how to play that position so well. Because look, I've worked with a lot of men. So I know how to do that. And I think I was conscious of showing her respect and giving her the dignity that she deserved. So even though I'm her mother, I'm an actress. So I'm very professional. So I think there was that, that cautiousness inside of me to listen and uh, uh, hear her and follow her lead, even though I was being very bold. I still was following her lead and listening to how, what she, her choices and watching her and how she wanted to set the scene up. She was the chief. So I would, I, if I felt something was important to say, I, I would say it, but I would always say it, preface it, like, you know, just saying maybe, you know. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. Um, I know you had said that you both always thought that one day you would act together. You didn't know it would be this soon with, with such a phenomenal project. Um, when you always, when you had been thinking about one day working together, did you think it would be as playing mother daughter or not necessarily? I thought it would be something like on golden pond. Like I would be ancient before she would ever want to work with me. <laughs> That's what I thought. It was like, you know, it would be, you know, really late in life. And that's what I thought. I do feel that people can be really hard on actors that have parents in the business because they want to take away their power. They want to say they were given something. And I can tell you that's just not how it works. You might get a door opened a lot faster. You might get to audition. This is true. But nobody gets you the job. You can't. It doesn't work that way. You have to get yourself the job. And even more importantly about this, the work is the second job and the third job and the fourth job. You know, you don't get those jobs unless you're good. Right. 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 Um, was there a scene for you within Made that was the most difficult for you to film? And also, was there a scene that you were like the most excited about undertaking? Surprisingly, I love, I think my favorite scene is the scene in the restaurant when she tells me she's going to go to college. Sometimes I'm afraid to take my time, especially when you're doing TV because you're so rushed. And I didn't rush that scene and it works so beautifully. I'm a people pleaser too. So a lot of times I'm not greedy enough when it comes to taking my time. And I love that scene because I did not feel rushed at all. And I think it 
it's very powerful. It's a really powerful scene, but I didn't anticipate it being that. I just think it's circumstances happen. It made it that good. And I love the scene also later. I think it's, I really love nine too. Nine was John Wells, nine and 10. So it's nine again. I'm just surprisingly, when I saw it, I was like, yeah, this is a really good scene. When I'm homeless and she comes to me, I love that scene. And um, I had been really bold and taking some chances in that because I didn't, I didn't know. I was always trying something, you know, like right. a howl at the moon, a howl at the moon. It's not in there. Howl <laughs> at the moon. I was talking to people and stuff like that, just kind of throwing some stuff in there. It's not in there. But it doesn't really matter, you know, because what really matters is the relationship, the mother-daughter relationship and the burden that I am to her. And that's why she can't, you know, having to leave that burden. That's that's the end of the story, you know, the great dilemma of leaving your mother, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Who, you, who you know really can't take care of herself, but you have no other choice to leave because now you are a mother. I mean, that's that's the crux of the whole story. That's everything, Right. It's a, a it's a abandoning your mother who's been like your child because right. your child is now more important than your mother. And those two scenes really lead up to to that, I think, in a really beautiful, poignant way. So I would say both, both of those scenes. I really, really loved that scene also when she tells her she's going to college. And I remember talking to Margaret about it as well, because it was it just was very touching um, and it really stuck with me. And I remember she said that a part of her felt that when you were telling her that you were really proud of her, that she felt like her mother, Andy, was telling mm-hmm. her Margaret that she was really proud. And it was just like mm-hmm. this layered experience. And I feel like as a viewer, I, I, I felt that as well. Um, it's, it was really a special, a special moment. Um, so I know that made was a very female driven project between Molly and Margaret and Margot Robbie is the EP and your directors and writers. Um, how do you feel that the series was influenced from or benefited by having input from such a female driven force? I, you know, I feel like we have so many untold stories about women because uh, our world has been so, so extremely dominated by masculine energy. Um, We have a lot of stories that need to be told about women and, and it was nice that we, you know, we had so many strong female characters to explore here. You know, there was a tendency in Hollywood to believe that they would say this. This has been said, and it's still believed by some skeletons out there, that people go to movies to see men. They don't go to movies to see women. This is something that was repeated to me, said to me. They would cast male characters, even though the woman was the lead. They would cast the male character first because they felt they were the most important character. This has lived in our world. We've been so repressed and our stories have been repressed. And we have, we're interesting. You know, women are very interesting. And we have, there's so many stories to be told about women. And um, yeah, I'm so, and I'm thankful. And I give John a lot of credit for being on the forefront of making the choice not to hire women, to tell stories about women, um, because we have been repressed on and on every level, and it, in this art form, very much so repressed. Um, when you are looking for a role, what what is it that you? Is there anything specific that you're looking for, or anything that makes you that stands out to you that makes you think that that's that's the role for you? That's what's next for you. Mm-hmm. Well, like I just did Red Right Hand, which was so dark. And it was this part of me that was going, oh, I need to do something. I got to do something good for something here because it was so dark. But I loved the character and I wanted to explore this character and also the writing. The writing's really good. The dialogue's fantastic. She's a poet. This dark woman's a poet. My dialogue's fantastic. I just mean in the way she speaks. Yeah. So, but I was like, oof. 
God, I, I got to do something after this. And this script came to me. I don't know if it's going to pan out, but it's, I hope it does because it's beautiful. It's, it's very giving back to the earth. It's, um, there's, it's kindness, it's sweetness, it's purity, it's all of that. And you kind of like you want to wash away this darkness and bring this light. I want this light to come out afterwards. It does affect you that way. When you do something that dark, then I'm like, oh, God, i got to give something light back to the world, okay. some light back to the world. So that's part of it. But it's interesting because you read a lot of scripts and the dialogue just is terrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's really... You know, people that can write good dialogue, they're gifted. They're so gifted. And, and in scripts, you got to think it all comes from the script. If you don't have a good script, you can't make a good movie. I've tried. I've done it. <laughs> <laughs> I've done it. I've read a script and it's been like, ah. but, you know, I'm going to get to work with this person and I get to work with that person and they're going to pay me. All right, I'll give this a shot. And I used to do that. I'm not going to do, do that anymore. You know, I think I think after 40, when things got tight and tough and I couldn't find a job, I did that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I'm not going to do that anymore. It has you've got to have a good script. Is when you look back at the trajectory of your career, is there anything that surprised that surprises you the most? I think it's all a surprise. Really, it is. I'm from a tiny town. I grew up in a town of like 5000 people. I was probably the last person anybody expected to be, <laughs> to be in this position. I don't know. You know, I mean, I am very conscious of my privilege, extremely conscious of my privilege. That's why I continue to work and work hard because I want to give back mostly to my kids and hopefully the world too. Um, because I know how fortunate I am to have such a great job. I mean, I'm not getting paid the top, top dollars of like what you see people getting paid or whatever, but I do pretty well. And I don't want to retire because one thing I like using my brain, I think I would dry up. I would just, I don't know what I would do. I love creating. I love the art form, but I also feel privileged I'm privileged to have this job. Not many people are in, in my position to be able to work. You know, they actors that don't get the jobs, right? And I can still get good jobs. And, and um, so I'm just going to keep plugging along because I'm lucky, you know. I hate to use that word, but there is a good part of it that I feel, yeah, I'm lucky. So I guess that's what I'm most surprised by. I mean... Alternatively, I think we are lucky to have you in our films and directors are lucky to have you. And I'm so glad you're working. And um, we talked about the work, the advice that you've given or sorry, that you've received some of the best advice you've received. But what what is the advice that you tend to give actors who are just starting out? I always do that thing where, you know, when they're tired and we're working hard, I remind them that we're playing make believe. Because that's the truth. And I tell them to look around the room and to really realize where they are, take it all in, realize where they are. I think that's my big one, to have fun. I always you know, tell people to have fun because it is a fun job. We're, we're creative. We're constantly creating. And to listen, if you're listening and somebody says something a little bit different, you can answer that. You know, you don't have to, if they make a mistake, just if you're paying attention, you can probably fix it by just answering them like a person would answer them. Right. I think that's, that's a gift. Margaret's great at that. I think she is the most, of any person I've ever worked with, just there. She's not preparing in her head. She's not thinking about what she's going to do. She hasn't overanalyzed it or over made it over technical. She's simply there and listening. And what happens is going to happen. I think of anyone I've ever worked with, she does that better than anyone. That's a real skill set, I think. It is. It's, I think, more inclined to just constantly be thinking, right? Yeah, yeah, you want to be sure you know your line and... Or you might have come up with some concept or some idea. I see a lot of people prepare that way. You know, they've pre-prepared 
what they're going to do. And you can do that. I mean, you work with acting coaches. I mean, they give you suggestions. I just worked with an acting coach for Red Right Hand. They come up with concepts and ideas. And sometimes they're useful. Sometimes it might pan out. But you have to get there. You have to be in the situation. You have to see what the other actor does. You have to see what the room is. You have to see how the room is set up. You can't really plan everything. You have to be there. And then, you know, even when you're working with directors and they're like setting, setting everything up, you have to find the freedom within that setup, right? And that's, that's the process. It's in, in life too, right? You can't just plan everything. It, it'll all go to shit. Yes, exactly. Um, is, so I know we talked about your next film. Are you thinking about even beyond then, beyond that? Uh, oh, yeah. I, I, it's not announced yet, but I have thought about what I'm going to do next. Okay. I've been, I really wanted consistency in my life. I wanted, I've been looking for a home. I wanted to do something consistently. It's hard. This life is hard. You're very nomadic. You never know what's going to pop up. Right. And also, you never know, you never know what the situation is you're going to be walking into. That's the tricky part. Because there, there's a different aspects to the job. There's like, okay, you've got this great script, you've got this character, you've got this dialogue, but then you've got these actors and then you've got these directors and you've got this production and you've got this location and you've got these, so you never know. And um, I really wanted to be, do something consistent and I think that's what's going to be happening for me. I could do other things too than other times of the year. They're less consistent and go off and maybe hopefully do movies. That's what I'm hoping for. I hope I get to it. I really want to do some comedy though. I do. I want to continue to do, do more comedy because I mean, I managed, I managed to make a manic, uh, a manic depressive bipolar woman funny, you know, mm-hmm. I made her funny. Yeah. That's, that, that's because that's how I see the world. I, I see the humor and even darkness and dark humor is absolutely my most favorite. That's my most favorite thing. I tell you, one of the things I discovered about myself as an actress is when I went to go see Sex, Lies, and Videotape, and I was funny, and people were <laughs> laughing, and I went, oh, my God, I'm funny. I'm funny. And then I realized that my gift of humor is not to play funny, not to try trip or do that. Right. It's to look at the character. Why the character, people are funny and in their darkness, find their humor. That's what I really love. I'm, I'm trying to create something with someone else that I think will have components of that. And I have another idea. Just, you know, people don't write a lot of stuff about older women. It's hard to find those roles, but I'm hoping that happens. I hope so too. I mean, <laughs> you're so funny, just naturally, even just speaking to you now. I, I would, I would love that. Um, when you are not acting or in between jobs, how do you love to spend your time? A hike, a lot. I love to walk in nature. I love getting out of my head. It it, it gets me out of my head, mm-hmm. and I love to work exercise. So the combination is perfect for me. And just being around trees and looking at the sky and looking at birds and just, I could walk. I want to get a horse. I used to have horses. I haven't had a horse in a while. I really want to get that back into my life because I've been missing it. And I think I'm not in a relationship. I just don't see that happening for me. I want to be in a relationship with a horse. (laughs) That's perfect. There's no, you won't get into any arguments. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's a great relationship. So I I want that to happen for me again. I really would like that. I do yoga. I love to cook. I love to cook healthy food. Uh, I love to eat healthy. That's kind of it. Pretty boring. No, it sounds perfect. Sounds so lovely. Are there any um, shows or movies that you're loving right now that you've been checking out? Uh, I watched, what is it, Gilded Age. Oh, yeah. I really enjoyed that. It was very fun. And I've um, been watching some movies. Um, 
What else did I say? I'm looking for something right now. I watch a lot of documentaries. Okay. Um, what's good right now? Somebody told me to watch Julia. I saw the documentary on Julia. Then someone else told me to watch Staircase, but I've already seen the documentary on Staircase. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know if I want to watch. I don't know if I want to get into those, but what do you, what do you think's good right now? I am watching Barry on HBO with okay. Peter, which I love. It's very, okay. that's actually, you might, have you seen it? Cause that you might love. Cause it's totally dark humor. I mean, okay. he's like a, he's a, a killer. He plays like serial killer, basically. Okay, that's not the kind of dark humor exactly. <laughs> no, but, but he's a stand-up comic. Or he, oh, he, I love that. Okay. He wants to be an actor. Yeah. He yeah. And I also a, love working with comedians. So yeah, I'll watch that. Thank you for that the tip. Anytime. <laughs> I think what else I'm watching. I'm watching a lot of reality for escape. Oh, but, really? I can't, yeah. I don't like it. I, I know it's it's an I don't, it. I don't like seeing people argue with each other. I, I know. know I don't I don't know what it is. I, I, really I don't know what that is either. But I do love watching uh, real uh, real life um, murder mysteries. So oh. I don't know what that's about. I got COVID on red right hand. I was stuck in my room for five days and I will watch the real the stories about real life murder things yeah 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 and, you know they always have that what, weird voice when they're talking about the story i don't know what that addiction is but i think every a lot of people are <laughs> and they're all doing the fictional adaptations of it too like i'm watching under the banner of heaven it's the same i mean that's not it's based on a real story so i i think you're in good company um <laughs> Anyways, it was, this has been such a treat. Um, thank you so much, Andy. Um, on behalf of the SAG-AFTRA Foundation, I just want to thank you so much for sharing your experiences, process, and craft with your fellow performers. And it's been such a pleasure. So thank you so much. Thank you for taking the time to talk to me. Thank you for listening to the SAG-AFTRA Foundation's Conversations podcast. If you appreciated what you heard, please support us with a review or donation and reach out to us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at SAG-AFTRA Found. We'd love to hear from you.